The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. As the U.S. prepares for a new president, it has been a week full of U.S.-China news. From new Chinese companies being added to U.S. blacklists to new government appointees being announced. With all the top China business news, what's been happening across the world, here is your weekly roundup. The U.S. added nine companies to a U.S. Defense Department blacklist of companies with alleged links to the country's military on Thursday. Included was smartphone maker Xiaomi and national aviation champion Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China Limited. The news caused Xiaomi's share price to tumble, as it means the clock is now ticking for Americans to divest from the company. Xiaomi responded by issuing a statement saying, quote, The company confirms that it is not owned, controlled, or affiliated with the Chinese military and is not a, quote, communist Chinese military company, unquote, defined under the National Defense Authorization Act, unquote. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden has appointed two senior National Security Council officials on Asia-Pacific and China affairs. Laura Rosenberger, a senior fellow at the Washington-based German Marshall Fund think tank, will become a senior director for China, while Kurt Campbell, a veteran foreign policy expert and former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Affairs from 2009 to 2013, has been appointed as the coordinator for the Indo-Pacific. The move has been interpreted by most experts Tsai spoke to as signaling Biden will continue President Donald Trump's Indo-Pacific strategy of countering China's influence in the region. An MIT professor and nanotechnology expert was charged with failing to disclose to the U.S. Department of Energy millions of dollars in funding he allegedly received from China, according to Bloomberg. Gong Chen, 56, a naturalized U.S. citizen from China, reportedly received $29 million in foreign funding, including $19 million from China's Southern University of Science and Technology, according to the U.S. government. Chen faces charges of wire fraud, making a false statement in the tax return, and failing to disclose a foreign bank account. 
Chen's field of research, nanotechnology, was identified in China's 13th five-year plan as, quote, a particular area of interest, unquote, to the government, according to the affidavit. It's good news if you own property near a top-performing school in one of China's top-tier cities. China's biggest cities saw a faster increase in prices of new residential houses and second-hand homes in December, official data showed, as analysts said demand for housing in competitive school districts was further heating up the market. In December, the prices of new homes in first-tier cities, including Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Guangzhou, grew in aggregate by 0.3% from the previous month, a slightly faster pace than the 0.2% month-on-month increase in November. China's goods trade surplus hit a record high last month, while exports rose more than expected, official data showed Thursday, as overseas demand for personal protective and remote work equipment remains strong while the COVID-19 pandemic continued to rage across much of the world. Exports rose 18.1% year-on-year in dollar terms in December, down from 21.1% in the previous month, according to data from the General Administration of Customs. The reading marked the seventh consecutive month of growth and beat the median forecast of 14% growth in a Caixin survey of economists. China's GDP grew 2.3% in 2020 as the world's second-largest economy was hit hard by fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic in the first quarter, but has been recovering steadily since then, official data showed Monday. China is the only major economy expected not to have contracted in 2020. A team of experts from the World Health Organization arrived in Wuhan last week to examine the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. WHO Director General Tedros Adnan Ghebreyesus had expressed disappointment earlier over Beijing's alleged delay in granting entry to the international team of scientists who had been due to set off in early January. In response, China's foreign ministry said that the delay was because necessary procedures need to be fulfilled and relevant specific arrangements need to be made. In a surprise twist, two of the team were denied entry after they tested positive for COVID-19. Let's turn now to Doug Young, Caixin Global's managing editor, for his take on something that's been making headlines in China. Doug, workplace grievances are very much in the news in China these days with some really tragic events. Uh, Let's start with what's happening at e-commerce giant Pinduoduo. Hi, Kaiser. Um, yeah, today I wanted to focus in on on two stories, and the first one is is Pindodo. But I, I do want to start off by saying, you know, that this, these two stories both sort of, ta- you know, they both have the same sort of issue at the center of them, which is China's private sector and and especially the high tech sector, uh, which is very high growth but also very high pressure. Um, is just filled with with terrible labor practices uh, and and other other practices that would you know just make anybody in the U.S. or Europe cringe. You know the things of money being withheld from people, uh, people being sort of really heavily pressured into working super long hours without any extra compensation and so on and so forth. I, I often tell many of my friends, China in some ways is more capitalist than the U.S. Or, or the West. And these two stories both sort of show that. So anyway, the first story uh, to get on is, is about Pindodo, which is like the big 
sensation that's challenging Alibaba. They're big e-commerce, uh, but they're big on the low end of the market. And the story here is that uh, they've had a couple of employees die over the last two, three weeks. Uh, the first case involved a woman in Xinjiang who was working in their grocery unit and she got off work in the early hours of, of one day in late December, I believe it was, and and just collapsed and died. And, and she was all of 22. And of course, uh, people are saying, oh, this looks like overwork. And, and apparently the woman had just complained on her social media about just being worked to death and how exploited they were. Uh, the second case was even, even more tragic. Uh, a guy basically uh, was feeling too much pressure and, and asked to take a day off or a few days off and basically went home to his family's house in, in Changsha in central China. He was working in Shanghai and uh, he just jumped to his death from his, his family's apartment up on I think the 26th or 27th floor of the apartment and it, it's really you know ignited a lot of debate about uh, what in China is often called the 996 culture where people are supposed to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. Uh, you know, this is just, it would be considered crazy, maybe in some Silicon Valley startups, but, you know, certainly not for a company the size of Pinduoduo or Alibaba. And, and you know, it's it's just in, sparked all sorts of debate, you know, this look at what people are being driven to, um, you know, and the, the thing is that this kind of debate comes up periodically. It came up a few years ago with Alibaba chief uh, Jack Ma was sort of arguing in favor of it. So it's it's certainly not a debate that's going to get solved overnight. But, uh, you know, hopefully my, my feeling is that with time, Chinese will sort of slowly come come to their senses more and, and realize, I guess, the whole thing about the work-life balance that people talk about in the West. But, you know, if you look at it, it this is probably not that unlike the early days of capitalism in the West, you know, where you had the sweatshops and people just being worked to death. Also facing a labor crisis and secondarily a, a PR crisis is Ulama. Uh, can you talk about what's happening there at the food delivery company? Yeah, Ulama. So so if we look at Pindodo as a case uh, involving sort of white collar office workers, Ulama was, was actually a case involving sort of the more grunt workers, you know, the, the, the delivery guys. Uh, Ulama, for those people who don't know, is, is one of China's biggest food delivery companies, takeout, takeout dining. Uh, and, and they're very, very popular. You know, everybody everybody wants to have their food delivered to their home. But, um, you know, these these drivers are just under incredible pressure and they're, they drive all over the place. As, as you and I both know, uh, no sidewalk is safe in Beijing because they're just constantly everywhere and they're, they're under huge pressure to, to make, you know, dozens of deliveries a day. And that's how they get paid. So anyhow, this story is is basically about a driver in uh, another city in uh, Jiangsu province called Taizhou. And uh, the guy basically wasn't getting paid by his employer, which actually wasn't Ulama. It was uh, one of Ulama's agent companies. Um, and they basically withheld something like three or 4,000 yuan, which is probably about four or 500 US dollars. Uh, but, you know, that's a lot of money to these guys. Um, and the guy set himself on fire. And reportedly, uh, you know, some people around him quickly put the flames out and, and stuff. Uh, 
Uh, and he reportedly said he didn't want to go to the hospital, you know, right afterwards uh, because he wanted to settle his score with uh, the employer. That's sort of obviously how angry he was. Um, and later, later, somebody put a message up on the web saying he'd been burned over eighty percent of his body. Although we never, we didn't verify the authenticity of the the web post because it was looking for money to pay for his medical treatment. But anyhow, the point is. Uh, I, I did just read today that uh, Ulama is paying, you know, for his uh, initial part of his medical treatment, and of course, everyone's going to be all contrite and sorry and everything. But you know, what kinds of work conditions are people living under where they would resort to something like this? I mean, you certainly don't see this kind of action. You know, this is something you see in in Vietnam and people protesting, you know, huge grievances, uh, something like a work dispute just seems like, you know, it must be quite extreme for somebody to do something like that. So this is, you know, it's it's another issue in China, just again, that a lot of these workers just don't get treated very well by their employers. It's a very, very capitalist system. Well, thanks, Doug, for filling us in. And we look forward to having you back on the show soon. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Taishin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Taishin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and Marcus Ryder of Taishin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. For more on China, be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SubChina. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.